0: Hello, I'm Simon Jones.
1: And I'm Steph McKenna.
0: You're listening to episode 85 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing. We are a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. We're recording this on 24th of March 2020, which means we're into the second week of working from home.
1: We are. It's very strange indeed. Now we're both home.
0: Yes, indeed. Yeah, I think everyone's still adjusting to exactly what's going on as the rules change, but we will continue to put out the podcast. There's nothing that should stop us from doing that.
1: No, it's nice to have a bit of a bit of routine for, for both of us, actually, being able to carry on doing the podcast and put it out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So this week, we have a very exciting podcast, which goes along with our second pack of early career writing resources. We did the first one back in January, and that was all about beginnings. Feels like an extremely long time ago now. Yeah, it does. Um, and this is the second pack, which is focusing on method. Have you got a method, Steph?
1: For living. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we're having to reevaluate our method, aren't
1: we? We are a little bit. Yeah, yeah. What's yeah. your method, Simon?
0: My method. Uh, is to attempt to do work while my seven-year-old is asking me to find bits of Lego for him.
1: Ah, yes, yes. So multitasking.
0: Yeah, that is my new method.
1: My new method is uh, having breaks in the garden, even if I have to wear a coat just to catch a bit of sunshine.
0: Well, that sounds quite nice.
1: Yeah, I think it's helping.
0: Yeah. So in the pack, we have some really fantastic resources. Um, We have Emma McBride on video talking about her particular method. Uh, which is really interesting because uh, it's so different to kind of how I like to do things where I tend to plan quite a lot and Emma dives straight in and basically lets her characters do the work for her.
1: Yeah, I can imagine, actually. I can I can just completely imagine that Ema is does less of the planning stage. She's kind of straight in there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we actually have Jenny Offal back again. She was on the podcast last week and she's also put together a wonderful little article which is looking at some of the method and inspiration she had behind writing weather. And just like the podcast last week, it's strangely timely <laughs> and up to the minute. Both the book and the stuff she's talking about is, has suddenly become extra relevant due to all the stuff that we're all going through simultaneously around the world.
1: Absolutely. Perfect time for Jenny awful.
0: Yeah, Yes, exactly. And then uh, we have this podcast which we have two special guests on this week. We have Brechia Hofstadter and Motoyuki Shibata, both talking about their varying methods. Uh, Brechia is a writer of fiction and Moto is a translator, and both have very distinct ways of going about their work. So that's a fascinating chat coming up in a sec. Uh, The last piece of the method pack is actually something I've put together, which is focusing on digital tools and digital ways of working for writers and I think we're going to go into a bit more detail about that now Steph.
1: Absolutely. So Simon as part of this free writers resource pack that we're releasing this week you have written a very useful article for the website called 11 actually useful digital tips for writers so you're you're a writer but you're also a bit of a tech head, i would say <laughs> you're you're very good at bringing technology uh, and new sort of websites and software into the organization and introducing us as a team to them um, and that 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 software and technology has been really useful sort of in and outside of work
0: when you say very good do you mean very annoying
1: no not at all it's been it has been really useful (laughs) it's paying off now as well isn't it as we're working remotely so uh, it's been very very useful to have but I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who maybe you know haven't had as much experience With this sort of thing. Maybe they're a bit more pen to paper or they're using sort of slightly older, out of date tech, and it might be useful for them to kind of refresh what they're using. Do you want to give a quick outline beginning with software? Yeah,
0: yeah. And I think the thing is, you know, being someone who really likes tech generally, that's kind of, it's almost like a bit of a cheat because then this stuff becomes immediately easier. Whereas if you're not a techie uh, and if you don't like it, it's a much harder barrier to entry.
1: Yeah, it can be a bit intimidating, can't it?
0: Exactly, and I think the the risk then is that you miss out on some really useful tools that Mm. otherwise might actually help your writing.
1: Mm. And some of them are very simple.
0: Exactly, you don't have to become a techie to use a lot of this stuff, but knowing about it at least will mean that you can choose whether it's going to be useful for your process or not. Um, Mm. So the main thing to start off with is uh, to talk about Scrivener, which I think a lot of people will have heard of. Uh, It's quite widely used, but I'm still always surprised when I encounter writers who don't use it don't
1: use <laughs> uh, it yeah I mean I've heard of it but I've never used it
0: no so that where it gets useful is if you're writing a long manuscript of some sort if you're doing anything mm-hmm. any kind of long mm-hmm. form project uh, if you're doing shorter mm. stuff then you can kind of use whatever word processor you want whatever you feel comfortable with sure. or you know write it by hand but as soon as you get into a kind of novel sized project mm. those word processes become really unwieldy um, particularly when you get to the editing process and you're suddenly faced with this massive wall of text and you have to somehow kind of navigate your way back through mm. your brain that, that spewed this thing yeah. out onto the page. Um, Scrivener works kind of a completely different way it it's built for novel writers essentially so everything mm. about it is designed to give you a really good view of the structure of your novel and Brilliant. provide you with tools to kind of move things around and see the shape of it and better understand the pacing and where you're using characters in different ways. Uh, in the article, I put together a little video where I kind of show how I use it, which is just yes. one way of doing it. It's slightly terrifying, kind of revealing <laughs> the way I work. Which the
1: inside of your brain and your writing. I know.
0: Yeah. Yes. It's a weirdly personal thing. but <laughs> um, anyway, I highly recommend checking it out because if you're going to put the effort into learning one digital thing where you maybe don't ordinarily bother to do that then this is the Mm. thing to get your head around
1: and you've also listed Trello which is something we use a lot at work and also I know quite a few staff members use outside of work to organize their various bits and pieces
0: yeah so Trello is essentially a big digital whiteboard uh, or pin board where you can put sticky notes up just like you would on a on a real board in the kitchen or something but it's infinitely big so if you don't have room for a big whiteboard Or, you know, you share a house with other people and you can't take over an entire wall.
1: Yes, they might be a bit annoyed.
0: Exactly. Um, And you can access it on your phone, on your computer, uh, on the move. So it's really good for getting your ideas down, shuffling them around uh, in a very visual sense. Particularly good for the planning stages and trying to kind of work through those initial little sparks of ideas. And uh, completely free as well.
1: Mm, Brilliant. And you've also listed cloud notes.
0: Yeah, so cloud stuff generally is really handy. So rather than just using software that is on your computer, you can take notes digitally in a way that is then on your phone, on your desktop, on your laptop. You can log in from other machines to get to your notes and also if your house explodes, it doesn't matter in terms of your writing. You know, you will have you will have kept your notes and this goes for cloud storage as well, stuff like Google Drive or Dropbox because yeah you can't back up your work enough, basically. And I think it's something that a lot of people are like, oh, I'll I'll get round to backing my stuff up at some point. Mm -hmm. But it only takes one kind of catastrophic incident for you to lose years and years of work. And that can be as simple as, you know, spilling some water on your computer. Um, Mm -hmm. Or it could be Mm -hmm. something as serious as, you know, your house burns down. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, insurance covers a lot of stuff, but it can't cover creative output. Mm -hmm. Um, the only way to secure that is to have multiple copies of it and you know it's good practice to have multiple hard drives that you're backing stuff up onto or usb drives but if you use cloud storage it means that you have a backup off-site like away from where you normally write so that even if the worst happens you know that your work is still safe because really you have to think about what value do you put on your writing and it's hard to put a a top number on that
1: no it's uh, pretty priceless isn't it
0: Yeah, exactly. So again, for backing up, um, this stuff isn't expensive, you can grab a a small portable hard drive for like 25 quid, or you can get a really decently sized one for 50 quid. Um, And that just means you can just plug it in after a writing session, copy the files over, and you know that you've got a second copy then, so that if something weird happens to your computer, your work is safe. Yeah, very useful. And yeah, it's like the number one thing that all writers or all creative people have to sort. Like if you don't have a backup process in place, then you should stop listening to this podcast right now, go and do it and then, and then come back and listen to the rest.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and you also, the the occupational therapist in you is coming out here. You've mentioned making yourself comfortable uh, and having a place to write and to be creative that is comfortable on your neck and your back.
0: Yeah, well, this is something that Margaret Atwood pointed out when we interviewed her. I know, was it a year and a half back or so yeah, um, yeah that's a video that you can find on youtube and it's also in a, one of our podcast episodes but she was asked what her top writing tips are and you know she had things that are specifically to do with the writing but mm. one of her main tips was to get a good seat basically because as a writer you know we're sat down in front of a keyboard or in front of a yeah. bit of paper for hours per day potentially and that can really have an impact on your body
1: that's a great practical tip. Exactly.
0: And especially as you get older, uh, that's going to have a, more and more of an impact. You know, if you're writing in your early mm-hmm. 20s, you're probably not going to notice it. But over time, and especially if you want this to be a career, you do have to make sure that you don't get to a certain age and you physically can't type anymore.
1: Uh, and finally, you talk a little bit about time management.
0: Yeah, which I think is something we're all bad at, probably, um, in various ways. But yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of tools which I just mentioned uh, being useful about kind of managing your time, particularly with all the distractions that we have these days. Obviously, a lot of us at the moment have more time at home, which we can make use of for writing. Um, but yeah, I talk about the Pomodoro technique, for example, where you split your work down into little mini time chunks. So you you say, right, for 25 minutes, I'm going to do some writing, and then I'm going to take a break. And it's much easier for the human brain to to think about 25 minutes of work rather than sitting down at the start of the day and going, right, I'm going to write for eight hours and, eight hours. and complete mm. like a quarter of my novel. Like that's That immediately sets you up for failure.
1: Absolutely. This stops you from getting overwhelmed, really, yeah. doesn't it? Helps you to sort of segment, take some time out. Yeah, pace yourself. Um, I think it's a really, really good technique.
0: Definitely. And uh, talking of productivity techniques, uh, people should also check out one of our new Writers' Toolkit Online courses. We have a couple of courses, actually, from Ben Johncock, who has written all about this kind of stuff in a lot more detail. Uh, One of the courses is completely free to get into. The other one is £75, but they're both really excellent ways to kind of maximise your creative output and and figure out better ways to make use of your time. Um, People can find those over on our new courses portal. So if you go to courses.nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk, you can find all those new things to be working through.
1: Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. And if people want to read the full details of your article, uh, they can also go on to nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk uh, and under Writer's Toolkit and Early Career Awards, or under our blog, you will be able to find Simon's article alongside some other really great resources.
0: Okay, so let's head over to the first interview, which is with Brecha. Peggy uh, talked to her when she was here. And we do have a longer version of this interview as well, which we'll put up subsequently. But what I've done is taken out the part where she is talking specifically about her method. So here we are.
2: So I want to ask you then about how you're going to, about the novel that you're -hmm. you're working on then, and how this, these conversations and and what I think I've heard you call ocular research, the kind of looking (laughs) at everything and, and soaking it all up, what's the, what's, how does that, play in relation to the to the writing and the planning around the next book.
3: Oh, it's always very hard to say but and up until now I've always found that location and place are very almost characters in the books in the end and they give a real sense of atmosphere and they color the whole book. but it's hard to predict in advance which places and which parts will be, left after years of writing and i'm just at the beginning i think i have two or three years to go so it's very very early to be talking about this and i say two or three years i would previously probably have said just a year but i know from experience that i usually tend to think i know where i'm going with a novel and it's never <laughs> it never turns out that way it just never does
2: I've heard some writers say it's almost like they lose agency when, when you start to write the thing and it goes in a direction that you don't anticipate it will somehow, that it's not almost like it's moving through you rather than that you are in control of it. Is that something you would endorse? or Or, no. or, or why does it not turn out the way you think? Just cause... Well,
3: I, I tend to think that the novel is supposed to be more intelligent than the person who's writing it, which sounds strange, but I just mean that there's so many moments of concentration and focus going into the book and there's also so many um, so many decisions you make on an inc- unconscious level mm. which somehow something you've read somewhere or, or felt or experienced or heard will find its way into the book without you knowing it mm. um, and the sum of all those parts of concentration and focus and uh, hidden meanings um, will will at some point start to s- show a kind of structure or coherence which you hadn't planned mm. um because if if i'm making a if i'm planning and plotting a book it's just maybe one afternoon where i'm trying to concentrate hard but it's i'm also mm. kind of cranky and maybe i didn't sleep well and it's it's a limited yeah. you know bit of time and work whereas the whole book has this whole concentration to it and i think that's why it's it always surprises the writer, but for me it's not like it is a, a being of on it onto itself and has a mind of its own. Mm-hmm. It's more that we always tend to both overestimate our own cleverness and mm-hmm. underestimate because we overestimate the conscious cleverness and we underestimate whatever goes you know below the radar mm-hmm.
2: Um and what what I do want to ask you is what of because I, I believe your second book was essays and yes. fiction. Um, I guess I want to understand a bit more about what a fictional treatment um, can do that a non-fictional one can't. So in, in the case of these interviews and the people you've been meeting, um, why, why, why make it a novel? Um,
3: well, I, I suppose it can be both. I could now write a couple of essays about this experience, and I might. It's often the way I process things and get my head around them, um, but I think then to allow them to... Uh, reach a kind of level of abstraction so that they can be more less particular and more universal you need the freedom of a novel um, I guess it liberates facts from a kind of time and place mm-hmm. and makes you able to play around with them and, and show similarities or mm-hmm. patterns of thought and follow those um, yeah I, th- I, th- I tend to think that the novel is ultimately always about universal human themes and Human traits, mm. and it's easier to reach those. I think if you give yourself the liberty that a novel affords.
2: I wonder at which point for you then. With you, you mentioned um, you can't start it too soon. That it's that, that you've done that in the past. Yes. <laughs> Are you prepared to say a little bit about what what, what happened and why you just what what you? Well,
3: mean? actually, I wrote two between the first and the second novel. I wrote two novels, which one of them I threw away in its entirety, oh. and the other I Gosh. just kept. Bits and pieces, which then went to well. I just I wasn't satisfied. I just thought it was um, a good piece of homework, like diligent homework, but it it lacked a kind of uh, life to it. And I should have known because while I was writing, it, it was just this endless struggle. And of course, writing can be a struggle, but it shouldn't be so for years on end, and it shouldn't be like. Uh, you shouldn't sit at your desk, and think, "Oh, here we go again." <laughs> it, it, if, if the if it's not if it doesn't feel to the writer like it's worthwhile to be writing it, it won't feel right. to the reader as though he should, you know, yeah. really read it. I mean, I'm interested to know was it a ritualistic throwing? Was it a kind of, you know,
2: how did how did this play? I wasn't just no, delete,
3: well, just move it into the trash. How did that? Um, I no, I did have you know print out which I prints a big stacks of paper which I threw out, but it is still, you know, ghosting around somewhere in in Mm -hmm. clouds of files somewhere on some old computer, I suppose. I didn't radically delete it all. I I think I was, it might someday prove useful or I might Mm -hmm. someday go back and see, well, what was it that I thought was so unappealing and what went so wrong? Mm -hmm. I didn't do that yet. I think I had, my, had enough of it, so yeah, I just yeah. didn't want anything to do with it anymore okay. You just knew it wasn't the right uh, Yes, after many, many tries um, I didn't... D- Did anyone else read it? I mean, I'm interested Yes, to, yeah, my my, my then publisher read it and they were actually happy to publish and to go along and were not, not very happy with me for oh, no. being so stubborn but, well, it I didn't, was didn't feel right? No For you then with this
2: the one you're sort of that's working away at the minute. At which point do the characters and the other kind of you know the, the, those elements um, come into the mix? Is that already the case that there's already a character who's going to be the vehicle or the kind of central force for this? Or is um, that...
3: yes, there is a character who's called Hadewijch or Hadewieg, Um who is actually it's the name of a a Dutch um, medieval um, visionary or religious woman, Mm -hmm. um, quite comparable actually to Julian in many ways, who also wrote about um, the god as as a force of love as as opposed to some strict um, punishing Mm -hmm. kind of character. Um, And I got interested in her by accident because I had a a very good friend who had the same name. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, she passed away suddenly, unexpectedly. and I, th- I guess that prompted me to th- read more about the, you know, yeah, yeah, you find a replacement activity. You can't really yeah. Yeah. deal with the person anymore, which you'd like to do. So you find a way around that. Um, and so I got interested in Hadewig. <laughs> is that quite an unusual name? Is it a co- like- It is, yes, yeah. it's very old-fashioned. Mm. And anyone who will, who's called that immediately calls to mind the original Hadewig because mm. it's so rare to, yes. have, yeah. to have people have that name. Well,
2: that's fab that she kind of led you on this path to this home. I suppose and I
3: and I also suppose that you know losing someone or being confronted with birth or death mm-hmm. are moments when most people will start to ask themselves uh, painful questions about life mm-hmm. uh, like all right well it could be over at any moment what am I, what am I doing here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what are my plans so it has to do with it absolutely yeah yeah Amazing.
1: And now here is NCW's Peggy speaking to Motoyuki Shibata.
2: In terms then of your um I guess your approach or your method, uh-huh. this being a method. Theme, mm-hmm. Sure, theme, sure, uh, sure, sure. Chat really, how do you begin? So you get the new Paul Oster in the post or uh-huh. whatever. Uh-huh. what's what's your your process then in terms of approaching it as a as a as a translation?
4: Mm. Um, you know, I sometimes, you know, uh, publishers uh, approach me mm-hmm. and ask mm-hmm. me if I would be interested to translate this book, a certain book. Mm-hmm. But uh, that really works. Mm-hmm. Uh, in most cases, I'm just chatting with an editor mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I tell them that I read this and that book and I li- I, I really loved this one mm-hmm. and, and they sometimes, you know, uh, get interested and uh, mm-hmm. uh, eventually we decide to do it together. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, then you, 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 you're interested in the actual process I of transition? Yeah, really I am. Yeah. Yeah. I really am,
2: yeah.
4: Mm. Uh, of course, I, 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 I create a first draft first, and uh, I go all the way, mm-hmm. and uh, some people are perfectionists, and uh they don't go to the uh, next page until they are completely satisfied with the with the page they are mm. working on mm-hmm. uh but i i'm not like that because uh you often uh get a better sense of the page you are working on by going further you see what i mean I do. right mm, mm. so i uh, uh even if i um 80 percent satisfied with the, with with a certain page, I uh, go on to the next mm-hmm. page and, and and to the next and until I go to the end and then I go back of course go back to mm-hmm. the beginning and uh, usually I uh, end up uh, completely rewriting the first few pages mm-hmm. because I'm. At that stage, I'm more familiar with the voice of the uh, of the book, mm-hmm. and uh, you, you know, um, it, I, I, I'm 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 a I'm a much better friend of mm-hmm. the books book yeah. at, at that at that stage. So uh, it's a good sign that I you know end up uh, almost completely rewriting my mm-hmm. revising my translation mm-hmm. of of the, of the first few pages. Yeah. Uh, then I go on to the uh, uh, final page again, and and I, I of course consult the original uh, in my uh, uh, second, you know, uh, revision. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, first revision, yeah. mm-hmm. and then I, sometimes I'm uh, at that stage. Sometimes I'm uh, satisfied enough to hand it to my editor mm-hmm. but in most cases I have to go all over again mm. okay probably without consulting the uh, the original mm-hmm. this time I you know work on the uh, the rhythm and style of the japanese yeah. you know. mm-hmm. uh but sometimes of course I'm worried I may be you know uh, uh, going how do you say Getting stray, uh,
2: mm, what do you say? S- sort of lo- like getting further away. Right, from the
4: right, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'm worried I might be getting uh, too farther away from the original. Mm. So then, of course, you know, I look oh, at yeah. the original and uh, so, mm. uh, and then I usually, you know, after the second revision, I'm ready to hand it to the mm. uh, 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 to the to the editor mm. and my wife. Uh, uh, makes a lot of criticism. You know, <laughs> yeah. She's your first reader. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I always get angry when she you know, <laughs> <laughs> criticizes something in my translation. Uh, but in most cases, I end up, you know, uh, following her advice. Right. But sometimes I need, uh, I seem to, you know, need to go through that stage of, you know, yeah. getting irritated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is she a tough critic? She is, she is, it's yeah. It's good. Uh, especially in terms of the the uh, correct use of the Japanese mm. language, you know, okay, there great. are certain col- uh, collocations mm-hmm. that go well, and in some, and there are other collocations mm. that don't don't really go well. Okay, you know? yeah. And I'm wow. I'm sometimes pretty uh, careless about them. Mm, you
2: know? Yeah. Mm. So what, I want to know a bit about what, what are the ideal conditions in which to translate for you? I mean, is it silence? Is it music? Mm. I, I, we we had a crime writer here oh, last yes, September yes, who yes, stayed yes, in the yes, cottage yes. as well. And she said when she was writing her book, she um she used to love having um very scary films on a big screen silently. Really? Uh-huh. That, was, uh, how, that, that uh, was her perfect. Okay. All right. So I'm just intrigued by what then. Uh, uh, you, mm, depends yeah.
4: on which stage I'm in. Okay. In the beginning, when I... When I'm working on the first draft, I always play music. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, not in the Japanese. Not as if it's song, if it's a song, mm-hmm. uh, it has to be in English or mm-hmm. in any uh, you know foreign language, mm-hmm. because uh, um, you know if it's Japanese, it just you know comes into me and uh, you know mess, mess, messes up my mm-hmm. my my uh, language. Yeah. Right, right. It's very distracting. But I- if it's English you know if i don't pay attention uh it, you know it never bothers me it's mm-hmm. just it's just a sound like right right mm-hmm. so uh uh it could be uh you know uh baroque music or rock music from the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. but uh I, I always play music simply because you know translation is basically uh uh not really work for me it's 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 a uh, it's something I, I play with. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's it's a it's a play, you know. It's, it's I, I'm just having fun mm-hmm. translating.
2: Yeah, how wonderful to have a job that's that's oh, yeah. like pleasure. Yes, yes. yes. You know, yeah.
4: but uh, on the in the uh, final stage, you know, when I'm sort of fine tuning mm-hmm. my uh, my uh, prose, uh, then sometimes even Bach can Be you know distractive, yeah. and uh, I, I need some silence, okay, mm-hmm. which is hard to get in Tokyo, <laughs> <you know? laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Did you have you found Norwich silent? Has it been, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, this is yeah, an quiet. ideal
4: place for my translation, yeah, yeah. So, I, I remember back in 2016, I uh, stayed, stayed here mm-hmm. one month and uh, I did uh, most of my translation
0: of uh, Haku Berfin mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Many thanks to Brechia and Motoyuki for taking part in those interviews and thanks to Peggy for always being a very engaging host. If you have questions or want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writers' Centre, check out our Facebook page or find us over at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk where you can also sign up to our newsletter. And uh, I really do encourage you to do so because we're going to be keeping in touch with everyone during this slightly uncertain time and uh, we'll be sharing as many tips as we can.
1: And if you haven't already, please do head over and rate, review and subscribe the podcast because it really helps others to find it.
0: Thanks again. Keep writing, take care of yourselves and we will catch you on the next episode.